Good to see each one of you here today. We're glad that you've come to worship with us here. And uh, it's just good to see this crowd here this morning. And uh, we're glad that y'all are all here with us as we worship together in this place. Ah, got a question for you. Want to know, have you been born again by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I trust that you have. Because the next part of Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, he is going to talk about that. There is nothing any, any, any greater in all of our lives than to be a born-again child of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about what it's going to be like when we get to see him? Anybody here ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered what it's going to be like when the day comes that we finally get to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I trust that you have. I have. But let me say one thing to you. I've heard some folks talk about the day that they will see Jesus Christ. They can't hardly wait because they want to run up to him and hug him around the neck and thank him for all that he has done for them. Well, let me share something with you. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we have an indication of what it will probably be like when we do see him finally given to us in Revelation chapter 1 when John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He heard a voice behind him. And when he heard that voice behind him, John knew who it was. And when John turned to see him, in all of his glory and in all of his majesty. When John turned around and saw him, the scripture says that he fell on his face as though he were dead. Because I don't think any of us in this building, any of us today that are born again, believers of Jesus Christ, have any idea of what it's probably going to be like when we finally get to see him face to face. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. As we come to verse number 9, let me tell you what he's doing. The crescendo is just building as he makes his way through chapter number 2. And as we look at chapter 2 beginning in verse number 9, there is a phrase in verse number 9 that is such a powerful phrase one that is often just kind of glossed over. We read over it, we've talked about it a little bit, but I want to just kind of define the phrase for you in verse number 9. As we come to verse number 9, Paul writes, For this reason also. Now he's just given us in verse 5 through verse number 8, just a description of Jesus Christ as... He came during an earthly ministry and died on a cruel, heinous death on the cross of Calvary. But now we come to verse number 9 and we see a phrase in verse 9 that says, For this reason also, God highly exalted him. God highly exalted him. What can we draw from that phrase of significance to what Paul is writing here? Exalted in what way? Well, Jesus Christ was exalted after his death on the cross. He was exalted through his resurrection. He was exalted through his ascension. He was exalted through his coronation. And he was also exalted 
as the intercessor on our behalf is our high priest. And it is significant that Jesus Christ sits in that role today. Matter of fact, if you'll take your Bibles and flip over to Hebrews chapter number 4, we'll find where the writer of Hebrews gives us a further description into the exaltation of Jesus Christ, especially as our high priest. Hebrews chapter number 4, beginning in verse 14. So that we can see him for who he is. Just a further example and illustration for us of the exaltation that Jesus Christ saw that came from the Father. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence or boldness to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's who he is, exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I today, exalted through his resurrection, exalted through his ascension, exalted through his coronation, and then exalted eventually as the intercessor on our behalf as the high priest. And Paul goes on to give us a further description of Jesus Christ. The last part of verse number 9, and bestowed on him... The name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father also gave him a name that was above every name. It is a far above every name. And no one, no one will not bow to that name. Will not bow to that name before him one day. There is no one who will not bow before him one day. I don't care who you are. As a matter of fact, you may stub your nose at him today. There are many who do, but there is coming a day when you will bow before him in a very open and public declaration of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so as a result of that, what we ought to be doing today is doing that very same thing. As we bow our hearts and wills toward him in all that we do every day in our lives, so that as we serve him with our lives because of what he has done for us, it's an example, it's a demonstration to the world around us of the relationship that exists between us and Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the name that is above every name is found down in verse number 11. And that name is Lord. The title Lord is an interesting title because the name Lord or the title Lord in verse number 11 refers to Jesus' deity, his sovereignty, and his exalted authority. And matter of fact, the title Lord actually means master, 
supreme authority. That's who he is. Whether you accept it or not, or whether or not you want to agree with that, whether or not you want to acknowledge that, absolutely makes no difference today. It doesn't change the fact of who he is and who Jesus Christ is. Exalted by the Father himself, came during an earthly ministry and accomplished the very will of the Father, ascended back to the Father, and now is seated at his right hand as our high priest. That's who he is. And there is coming a day when every single knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord, that's who he is. So I don't know about you today, I trust you've already done so. I trust that in your own heart and life today, you've already acknowledged the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is sovereign, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and that Jesus Christ is the only avenue by which you and I can experience salvation in our hearts and lives. That is the only way. But it also speaks of something else. It speaks to all the divine rights and the honors and the glory bestowed on the Son by the Father. Matter of fact, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. John chapter 13. As John wrote for us in his Gospel. John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 31. The Gospel of John, John chapter 13 and verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, This is after the supper. This is after Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus predicts his own betrayal that will come from the hand of Judas Iscariot. And then we come to verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him immediately. Go to chapter 17 of John's Gospel. In the high priestly prayer of Jesus himself, as Jesus has already spoken to the subject of exaltation of his own life and his own relationship with the Father. But we come to chapter 17, beginning in verse number 1 of the high priestly prayer of Jesus in the garden before the cross. I want you to notice what he, what he prays. And so Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. You know, the cross of Calvary, that is a subject that we often talk about. It's taught on, it's preached on. But I wonder sometimes if we understand the magnitude of what took place on the cross of Calvary. And matter of fact, as you see in chapter 13, as Jesus himself spoke about the, his glorification that would come from the Father. 
When you come to chapter 17 and you look at verse number 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. We think of the cross as the most heinous of, of deaths that anyone could ever be subject to, and it is. But there were a lot of things that transpired on the cross of Calvary that sometimes I think we absolutely lose sight of. The relationship between the Father and the Son came to its level that it had not been a part of either one in, in all, of, all of its history. And so Jesus, in his humanness, as he hung on the cross of Calvary, as the very relationship between the Father and the Son comes under a significant strain here. And as he prays before going to the cross, that the Son may glorify you, that the Son would glorify the Father even in his death on the cross. Look at verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you. Now, I want you to notice this next phrase. You ought to underline it in your Bible because notice what it says. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. When we understand the magnitude of Jesus Christ coming to this earth in an earthly ministry, left the glory that had been bestowed upon him. He left the glory of heaven and came to this earth, took on flesh and dwelt among us, went through a earthly ministry here as he as he began to confront all the religiousity that existed with inside of Judaism. And as he began to share the good news of being set free. Then he goes to the cross. Glorified, yes. Glorified by the Father, yes. Was the, was the Father glorified in his death? Yes, it had to be. There was no other way. It had to be that way. In order for us to receive redemption, in order for us to receive the free gift of grace for salvation, it had to be that way. A sinless one had to die. A sacrifice had to be offered up on our behalf. And the only one who could do that was Jesus Christ himself. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is going to move now from the example of Jesus Christ himself to the way that we should live as believers. The way that it should impact our lives as a believer. As he moves to verse number 12, he is going to deal with a believer's growth. And let me say this to you this morning. God didn't save you for you to remain like you were at the time of salvation God's desire for us is that we would grow it's a process called sanctification it's a growing process it's a process where we move closer to him it's a process where we seek to do the will of God himself 
It's a time in our lives where we seek out and, and we attempt to move closer to the Lord because of the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when we consider our own lives today, the only, the only reason, the only way that you and I can come to the Father today is because of Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't enter on our, un, on our righteousness but we come before the throne of grace on the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself and who he is. And so we come to verse 12. And I want you to notice what Paul writes. He says, so then, or so that, or so then. That phrase, so then, is an interesting phrase because let me tell you what it does. It points back to verse 5 through verse number 8. It goes back to that place. So he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Then there's a phrase at the end of verse number 12. He says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work. And I want you to notice the end of verse 13. For what purpose? For whose purpose? It's for his good pleasure. That is why. You see, as a believer today, one that has been born again by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a believer, we should live lives that are consistent with that divine gift of salvation. We should live lives that are consistent with who we are. We should live lives that are consistent with the name that we confess and proclaim. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. So how is that accomplished? How is that done? Well, let me say this to you this morning. It is easier said than done because of the battle and the struggle that we have between the flesh and the spirit. It's a constant battle that rages inside of us every single day. But the scripture is very clear when it comes to to that walk, to the believer's life, to the believer's walk that we should walk and desire to live in our lives each and every day. Take your Bibles and flip back to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. So how do we do that? How is it that we live the life that we should? Let me ask you a question. Do you... Do you have a desire today to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? I trust that you do. It's easy to say that I have a desire. It's another thing to do it. It's another thing to walk it. It's another thing to live it. And I will say this to you this morning. You'll not do it on your own. The life that we've been called to live, you will not live in the flesh. The supernatural life that you and I are called to live each day in our life comes as a result of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, with the Father, through another person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. Paul writing to the church at Galatia, notice what he says in chapter 5, beginning in verse number 16. And notice what he says. He says, but I say, to walk by the Spirit, 
to walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? To walk by the Spirit. What does that mean every day? How do you start your day? One of the reasons that we struggle so much with the Christian life is because oftentimes of the way we start our day. Do we start our day with us or do we start our day with Him? And as the day progresses so often in our lives, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances, especially, and let me just kind of put this down to to just kind of where the rubber meets the road. How many of y'all have noticed the traffic in Ascension Parish in Baton Rouge lately? Any of y'all been cut off by anybody? Anybody have any choice words? Don't put your hands up. Okay. Don't go there. How about Walmart? How many of y'all visit Walmart on a regular basis? Anybody? How many of y'all haven't been in a Walmart in a year? How do you do that? Amazon. How many have been to Walmart? People are lined up halfway back down the aisles. They got two lanes open I think they have 35 lanes have two lanes open well let me ask you this way how many of y'all have been going out to eat now and trying to find a place to go out to eat and you go to some of these restaurants to get something to eat fast food places and the lines are wrapped around the buildings how many of y'all stay how many of y'all go How many of y'all have choice words about what's going on? (laughs) See, we can be affected by life. Matter of fact, even in relationships that we have with others. And matter of fact, when we hit that one that just kind of just... It just spins us around. How do we respond? How do we react? In life every day, how do we respond to the things that are taking place in life every day? Heard somebody talking just the other day, you know, how much more is going to happen between COVID and a hurricane and a tropical storm and all of these things? You know, I'm just to the point, I just don't know if I can take any more of it. Well, my dear friend, if you're here sitting in this building this morning, we ought to be thanking the Lord that we're here this morning sitting in this building because it could be worse. As you look at what's going on around in the world today. So how in the world could Paul write this as he comes to this portion of his letter to the church at Philippi? Because let me tell you what he's doing. He's building a crescendo moving to the way that you have joy in your life regardless of the circumstances. This is known as a pastoral or rather a prison epistle. Paul is in prison when he is writing to the church at Philippi. Where do you gather that joy from? Where do you gain joy from in your own life? How do you get to the point in your life where you experience this joy? Paul says in Galatians 5, but I say, he says, walk in the Spirit or walk by the Spirit and you will not 
carry out the desire of the flesh. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. It cuts against it. It goes against it. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. Now go to verse 25. And notice as he just kind of reiterates it one more time. He says if we live by the spirit. If you're a born again child of God here today. You have been born again. The Holy Spirit lives with inside of you. And so therefore, if we live by the Spirit, then here's one of the things that we ought to do, is we ought to walk by the Spirit. And then, of course, it's made evident in our own lives. As we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul talks about all of that in our own lives and who we are, Philippians chapter 2, Paul is emphasizing the need for obedience to the Lord. And let me just say something to you this morning. Just because we've been born again by the grace of God, and I've heard this comment many, many times. Well, I've been born again by the grace of God, so it's really immaterial what I do or how I live. Because I fall under God's grace. Well, I hate to say this, but you're, bad, you're, 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 you're sadly mistaken. We don't live any way that we want to live. Yes, we're under grace. That is true, saved by grace. But does that give us a license just to live any way that we want to live? It does not. If we Listen, if we live in the Spirit, then we ought to walk by the Spirit. If we're a born-again child of God, then it ought to be seen in our lives every day in the way that we live. It ought to point to the one who saved us. It ought to point to the relationship that we have with the Father. The Son said, I've glorified the Father. He said, I've done the will of the one who sent me. Our greatest example Paul used here in Philippians chapter number 2 is the life of Jesus Christ himself. That's who we ought to try to pattern our lives after. Not everybody else. At the end of the day, who do we measure ourselves against? Each other? No. Against who? Against Jesus Christ? Yes. Why? Because he is the perfect standard. That does not alter nor change. You know, although God is a loving, merciful, and forgiving God. We're still held accountable for our disobedience in the way that we live life every day. And I know people say, yeah, but praise the Lord. I got 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just go around all day confessing my sin. Really? Do you understand what confession of sin is? Do you understand what repentance of sin is? Sometimes we use that kind of like our coupon. Or get out of jail free card. But see, here's something I think that we often forget and we often miss. God knows our heart. 
God sees us for who we are. God knows our frame. God knows where we are. And God knows if we do it out of sincerity, out of a true repentant heart, or it's just lip service. I think one of the things that we've missed out on today is understanding and realizing that there is consequences of sin. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 6. Paul writing to the church at Rome. See, just dealt with this very, this very subject in Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse number 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? So what do we do? Do we sin more so that grace may abound the more? So what do we do? Go commit more sin so that grace flows more freely? No. And let me tell you what Paul does. In the next verses from verse 2 down through the rest of chapter number 6, Paul deals with the relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ. When you understand the significance of that relationship, and that's why I say, have you truly been born again? Do you know for sure today that you have truly been born again? And let me tell you something. If you have, there's a relationship that should exist there. And there should be a desire in our hearts for that relationship to grow. Notice what Paul says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin, notice the question that he asks, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3, Or do you know, or, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now look at verse 5. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You don't need, listen, there is no reason for you to continue to be a slave or a servant to sin. Why? You've been set free by the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ as a born again believer. And so as we live our lives every day, it should be lived from the perspective of what do I need to do to live my life that would be pleasing to him. Look at verse number seven. For he who has died is freed from sin. down in verse 14 for sin shall not be master over you for you're not under law but under grace what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace he asks the question again a second time and he answers it again the second time may it never be or god forbid do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. In other words, here's what Paul says. The one who you surrender yourself to 
that's going to be the result. So is your life one surrendered to the will of the Father and walking by the Spirit and fulfilling the things that God desires for us? Or have we surrendered ourselves to the world and to the things of the world? So Paul asked that very pointed question here. How can, it, how can it be? But look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of what? Of righteousness. Hmm. Now let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning the last part of verse number 12. And I want you to notice what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To work out, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, some folks, when they first kind of read this, they think, Oh, so is it works-based salvation? That is not what Paul is writing here. If you notice the phrase, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What, what did Paul mean by this? That phrase, work out, in, in the Greek means to keep on working out. It's a, it's a continuous process to keep on working out to completion, to ultimate fulfillment. That is the day that he calls us and takes us home to the ultimate fulfillment of, of the work that, that Jesus Christ has done in us and the Holy Spirit has done in us. There is coming a day when it will reach its ultimate fulfillment when we go home to be with him. That's why I asked the question to you this morning. Have you ever thought about what it's going to be like when we see him? Well, I'll just tell you personally this morning, I, I'm, and it... I struggle with this because I'm to the point today that I think when I do get to see him, I'm going to realize just how short I came of what he expected of me. In life, in ministry. Because of what he's done for me in my own life. Now let me ask you a question. How about you? How about you in your own life? in your relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? Is there a desire in your heart and life to do those things that are pleasing to Him? Then he goes on to verse 13. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's God who's at work in us. If you're a born-again child of God this morning, it is God who is at work in you. It is God who desires to work in you. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this passage? How do you take what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and apply it to our own hearts and lives today? Well, let me just kind of put it to you in a very simple phrase. We must choose to live righteously. It's a choice. 
to work out our salvation daily, every single day. It's a daily thing. It's a daily part of our lives and who we are. God has a table prepared for us every single day. And here's the thing about it is God is there every day. But how often do we miss out on our time with Him? But also realizing, but also realizing this. That the power to live the life we've been called to live is not found within inside of us within ourselves within our flesh it comes as a result of the Holy Spirit who resides within inside of us to provide what we need in our lives each and every day and that's where we find it you see holy resolve leads to holy living and a godly will produces godly work so the question today is Paul finishes the next portion of this paragraph of the letter he goes on in verse 14 he says do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your what with me and share your joy with me let me ask you a question today as a believer I know things have been tough I know the days have been tough and I know the current culture and world that we live in today is tough and difficult but let me ask you a question is there joy in your life in your heart today because you're where God wants you to be. If not, then you may want to search your heart and find out where you are and where things are. Can you experience that joy? Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the day you got saved? How many of y'all remember the day you got saved? Anybody in here? Do you remember what kind of day it was? How many of y'all, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all were saved prior to the age of 10? If you were saved prior to the age of 10, raise your hand. Prior to the age of 10. All right. How many of y'all were saved between the age of 10 and 20? A lot of hands. You can put them down. Who were saved between 20 and 40? Anybody here that was saved above the age of 40? Look at those hands. Anybody above the age of 50? How about 60? Above the age of 60. How about above the age of 70? 
I don't know if you noticed the number of hands as they were going up. The further up in age you get, the less number of hands that you will see. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? And if you do, do you have the joy that He desires for you to have? Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father,